0: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and there's Noel, which makes this a very special edition of Stuff You Should Know.
0: Hairier than Jerry Yeah, edition.
1: Yeah, much hairier. Noel, Noel let's beer. see your hair. Man, that has a lot of hair. Her suit. Yeah, he's like the original Kings of Leon, all wrapped up in
0: one. <laughs> I used to love those guys. Yeah, back when they were like Tennessee hillbillies. Yeah, and then they got their uh, glam makeover, and I
1: was like, "What?" It's like Metallica. Yeah. <sighs> after the Black Album. Yeah. What happened? What happened, Metallica?
0: Lars. I think they enjoyed making loads of money, truckloads of money. <laughs> <They> didn't think <see. laughs> More than being like heavy metal parking lot guys.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Um hey Chuck, before we get started, we want to tell everybody you can follow us on Twitter at SYSK Podcast. You can hang out with us on Facebook.com slash stuff should know. Our YouTube channel, search Josh and Chuck. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. And uh as always, we have a wonderful website, stuffy should dot com. That's right. You can hang out with us outside of the podcast if you want. If you want. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> so uh How are you doing?
0: I'm great. I'm super excited about this topic because, A, we're pairing it with our Charles Darwin show.
1: Yeah, which I guess came out last episode, right? Aren't we pairing the two? Yeah, I think uh, we're doing Darwin first. Let's do Darwin first. (laughs) Because I think in the Darwin episode, we say we should do natural selection. So here we are.
0: But I'm just excited because, to me, and I gushed a little at Darwin's feet, this is my own personal statement. I I think natural selection is the most exciting and like beautiful thing that exists. It's, it's just, it really turns my crank. (laughs) (laughs) You know? You're like an old timey car. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, I grew up, this is again my personal story. I grew up in church as most listeners know, uh, uh, which was heavy doses of, of creation, the creation story. Yeah. And I remember as a kid, even fully involved in in church thinking like, I just, this doesn't make sense to me. I just, it didn't add up.
1: So natural selection, it just makes sense to you.
0: Yeah. When I finally learned about natural selection, like really, really understood it and learned Mm -hmm. it, it just, it made total sense because I can like see it. It was tangible. I could make sense of it. And again, that's my own story. We don't poo-poo anyone oh no or saying anyone should feel any way yeah but uh we just yeah.
1: explain how things work exactly you know
0: but I have a personal attachment to this just because I think it's like the grooviest thing going yeah
1: no I, I know what you mean like it, it makes utter and complete sense it's almost um incapable of being appropriated to serve some agenda it just is what it is right you know it's sure. just there it's beautiful I agree with you entirely it's an elegant theory it's just super neat yeah um and the wonderful thing is, is like, there's even squabbles in the scientific community over exactly how sure. evolution works and processes. And regardless, everyone's still like, yep, natural selection. Yeah. Pretty much perfect. Yeah.
0: It just makes sense. But I'm going to have a t-shirt.
1: Natural selection. It just makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have a feeling we'll be getting an email with something like that eventually. Good. So let's talk about natural selection. I think a lot of people, including myself, um, Kind of had an idea of what it was, pretty good idea, but not necessarily understanding the ins and outs yeah. of it. And well, that's what we're here for is to explain the ins and outs of natural selection. Yes, sir. So, um, basically, a lot of people interchange evolution and natural selection. Right. That's incorrect. Um, evolution is this huge process by which uh, species adapt right. and change to survive in their environments. And the way that that moves along, the mechanism that drives that is natural selection. So they're not one and the same. Natural selection drives evolution.
0: Yeah, and who wrote this one? Was this... Uh, Grabinowski. Ah, oh, the Grabster. I should have known. Uh, just very simply puts it very early on in the article. Organisms best suited to survive in their particular circumstance have a greater chance of passing their traits on to the next generation. That's right. It just makes sense. Exactly. I'm going to try not to say that every 10 minutes, but just know that that's going on in my head.
1: Yeah, and and, and um, do you want that on a t-shirt? Sure. <laughs> and natural selection is like it's this ongoing, basically never-ending process, even when organisms really kind of seemingly stop developing.
0: Yeah, like they figured it out.
1: Yeah, but it's it it isn't it doesn't have its own sentience. It isn't its own thing. Like you can't you can't attribute it to some sort of creator or creation necessarily unless yeah. you believe that kind of thing but like if you're if you it's very easy to give it a personality but it's not right it's the byproduct of how organisms exist and we exist by our genes mm-hmm. and by the fact that those genes change yeah frequently within the lifetime of a person thanks to what we understand now as epigenetics yeah but also through reproduction and from these these moments these periods where genes are up for a change, Yeah, they can completely or even just partially change part of an organism and that change may or may not help that organism survive in the environment like right. you just quoted Grabinowski. And if it does, bam, natural selection will root that out and it will propagate that.
0: Yeah. And uh, Ed also points out, Darwin, um, he did coin the term natural selection and survival of the fittest. And I do think that many people hear survival of the fittest and they think of the... Lion eating the gazelle. Right. But it's also, like he says, the tree that can disperse its seed where it needs to. Right. For those seeds to grow. Or the bacteria that, uh, survives. It's not, you know, animal eating animal, although it can.
1: Right. And so since we're on a Chuck Fitness is basically, um, like you say, a, a tree's ability to spread seeds and for those seeds to take root because as Grabster points out, it's not enough for a tree to produce a bunch of seeds, yeah. which is its ability to reproduce.
0: Yeah, and its ability to
1: survive long enough to even get to the point to it re- where it reproduces. Right. That's yeah. step one, yeah. is to live long enough to be able to reproduce. Yes. Step two, or the second part of it, is that that reproduction is as uh, successful as it possibly can be.
0: Yeah, like it says, not only do you got to do it, you got to do it well.
1: So that tree that spreads tons and tons of seeds... If those seeds um, happen to um, catch fire in sunlight, yeah. that's not going to be a very good trait. But yeah. if they have like a really hard husk that can survive the elements, but then disintegrates when it's uh, digested by a raccoon and then pooped out, <laughs> right? You know, yeah. Then all of a sudden, you've got that step two covered. Yeah, or if it, you know,
0: if it's just dumb luck, if that tree exists in a place where it's super windy and can disperse the seeds better. Uh, then it will propagate if not then you may not even
1: know that that tree existed exactly unless you consult the fossil record that's right um okay so i i guess the whole point to natural selection is that it is an agent of change but it's also a byproduct of change and we kind of have to take a, a step backward to figure out where this change is happening i already said it a little bit but it's in it's in our dna it's in the DNA of all living things to change.
0: Yeah, uh, well traits, we're all born with traits and we inherit those traits from, you know, who, who made us. Yeah. Our folks. And, um, but it's not necessarily, that's not necessarily natural selection at work over like one generation to the next.
1: Right, there can be differences in traits. Like Darwin, as we'll see, points that out himself. He's just like, let's just get it out of the way. Like, Just because you have brown eyes and somebody else has blue eyes, that's not evolution. No, and he, he uses a good example
0: here of tall versus short folks. Uh Tall people might be basketball players. Short people might be jockeys. <laughs> right, that's the grabster, not Darwin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, did they have basketball? When was that invented? When did Naismith invent basketball? I want to say 1848,
1: but it's probably 1870. Not too far off.
0: So he makes the point that, you know, uh, if something happened to where, like, jockeys could reproduce better or basketball players could not reproduce anymore.
1: Yeah, I was trying to imagine what happened. Make up anything. I know, I was trying to and, like, I couldn't come up with it.
0: Well, just make make up something like uh, being able to uh, dribble and dunk lowers your sperm count.
1: Oh, that's a good one. See, <laughs> okay. that's what I'm saying. My, I think my brain was in understand natural selection mode, so my yeah. my imagination grew less fertile.
0: Yeah. So it, it didn't survive. No, it didn't. Um, and over time, basically, basketball players don't reproduce as much. Jockeys do, and over several generations, people are going to be shorter on average.
1: Right. It's so just,
0: it sounds. Almost dumb, it's so simple, but that's really the basis of it.
1: It is, and it's one of those things. It's like economics where it's so simple that it's hard to wrap your mind around it because you make it more complex necessarily than it is. Sure. It's it's very similar for me. Um, And with that basketball example, what just happened was humanity evolved to be shorter. That was the end result. And that evolution took place because... There was a uh, shift in the distribution of traits. Yeah. So before, lots of basketball players, lots of jockeys, tallness and shortness, Mm -hmm. which are traits or variations on the trait of height. Right. In humans, like we have height, we're not two-dimensional. Yeah. Inherited by who bore you. Right. Mm -hmm. Not us, your parents. Yes. We bore you in a different way. (laughs) <laughs> um, so the variations on that trait eventually gave rise to evolution. So within just a, like, like our generation or even a couple of generations, the differences in eye color, height, or something like that doesn't represent evolution. Right. But changes like that can lead to evolution over time.
0: Yeah, if they are changes that either aid or prevent your survival.
1: Right, like if something happens and all of a sudden human women were all like, We're not going to mate with anybody but blue eyes. You can bet your bippy that within two generations, there's going to be nothing but blue-eyed kids.
0: Yeah, or grown adults
1: getting blue contacts. (laughs) Oh, that's a good idea. (laughs) Yeah. Because they're tired of not having sex. But then maybe our eyes would adapt to um, the contacts and just absorb them. See, something has to happen. Your, your imagination is plenty
0: fertile, my friend. I guess so. Uh, and this all goes back, if we can go back a little further, to something called DNA. Um, that is a chemical structure that is the basis for everything that is. Yes. Is that a good way to say it? It is. And uh, within DNA are sequences of traits, uh, sets of traits, and those are the genes. And then there's something called the LL, which is really where it all comes together.
1: Is it LL or allele? Did I say allele? Uh huh. Adele? No. Adele Dazeem? Allele. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's allele. So it's like uh, a gene is like a specific sequence of DNA that produces some trait. So height. Like you have a height gene. Yes. Like, and when that gene's working, like you will grow. Yeah, the expression of the gene is the allele. Yeah, that's the variation of that trait. So imagine like a, a, just a stretch of genes as like a few boxes. Say five of them. Yeah. And three are off, the three that will encode to make brown eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and two are on, the two that will encode to make blue eyes. Yeah. So each one's an allele, but the one that's functioning gives you blue eyes. So an allele is just a variation on a trait. And a trait is produced by a, a gene, which is a sequence of DNA. Yeah. That variation is produced by an allele, which is a, a sequence of the gene.
0: Yeah. And how often that allele shows up in a population is the allele frequency. And it's really simple. You hear allele frequency and it sounds like, oh, that's science. Yeah. But it's really pretty easy.
1: That's what they go to school for, is to learn the jargon.
0: Yeah. And uh, we did a, a really good episode on population. And uh, we're going to be talking about it here again, though. So we should just say that a population is a group uh, in one place that have sex with each other. Yeah. Um. So like A zebra in Africa, he he makes up all, he should have used real examples. (laughs) I know. Because he said, let's say there were zebras in South America. But I see his point. That would be a different population because they can't have sex with the zebras in Africa.
1: Because zebras can't swim across the ocean.
0: Right. And a lion in Africa is in a different population than a zebra in Africa because they uh, don't do it.
1: Right. They can't. It's an abomination. It is. You come up with a Zion. That'd be kind of cool. I guess. Oh, that'd be sort of like a tiger, probably. Oh, no, <laughs> Maybe cause... that's what a tiger is. <laughs> I think we, we just, just figured it out. So uh, you were talking about populations. Yeah, and, and alleles. Were, and allele frequency. So um you could conceivably quantify the allele frequency of blue eyes in the human population. Yeah. Because we transcended like... The difference between Africa and South America, like we have planes now, sure. So we we all have access to sex with one another as a population, <laughs> as long as you have a passport <laughs> <laughs> and some money for a plane ticket. Yeah. Um, so spe- speaking about allele frequency, um, the point of that whole thing is that with evolution, I, I guess another way to put it, the way that Grabster puts it, is evolution is just a shift or a change in allele frequency. Yeah. And the reason that that change takes place is because those alleles that become more and more, uh, widespread and distributed across the population. Yeah. Um, have made that organism more likely to survive, to reproduce, and more likely to successfully reproduce. Yeah. That's it. That's it. That's evolution driven by natural selection. Do you want to quit? I don't think we could top it at this point.
0: <laughs> no, it does get more interesting. Um uh, Alleles create uh, are created in a few different ways. Um, one is called a mutation, which you've probably heard of. Uh, these are random changes. Yeah. Uh, they are pretty rare. Like the X-Men? Yeah. Very rare. Very rare. Mutants are. That's why they got to hang out with the president a lot. Yeah, but the president was also a mutant, wasn't he? Oh, yeah. Eventually,
1: Kelsey Grammer.
0: No, no, no. The president was uh the guy with the sun with the wings.
1: I thought Kelsey Grammer Or no, maybe his son became... was the mutant
0: and the president... Yeah, the president yeah, had a yeah. mutant son.
1: But I think Kelsey Grammer eventually was elected president, blue president. Oh, really? Blue hairy president.
0: <laughs> so to me, what, the cool thing about mutations is, is they uh, can be completely new traits that are introduced that are completely different than anything you've ever seen in that species. Mm-hmm. It's pretty radical. Yeah. Another way is, just like we've been talking about sex a lot, uh, reproduction. Just with animals, humans, that is a way that an allele can express itself.
1: Right. It's the mixing together. When when uh, your mom and your dad love each other very much and they copulate, <laughs> yeah. um, their sperm and egg mix together, break down their DNA in this glorious, fantastic um, little mini explosion inside the womb. Yeah and uh and then it it, re- it recombines into a totally new form that shares part of the dad's DNA and part of the mom's DNA to make a new human. Yeah, and you
0: get all the bad traits from each of them. Right.
1: <laughs> Hopefully you get all the best traits. Yeah. But that's the point of of uh, sexual reproduction it, which was itself naturally selected because it increases the potential that you're going to inherit uh Good traits that yeah. will let you survive. That's right. Uh, there's just more traits out there. It's like – um I think it was the sense of smell episode we did where we talked about pheromones, the idea that pheromones among humans – We, we can still detect them even though we don't know it. Yeah. And the whole reason we can is to smell out other people's immune system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we want somebody with an opposite immune system of ours. So when you put the two together, it produces a little mini superhuman who can't
0: be killed. There was an interesting study, I think, where they just had people smelling things. Yeah. But gauging attraction levels.
1: Right. But it's based on the the premise of sexual reproduction, which is the combining as many good traits as possible make somebody with a lot of them a lot of good traits (laughs) uh
0: and then the, the final way that um alleles are created is um genetic recombination and that would be in the case of like a bacteria who obviously don't go out and have sex with each other um but they do absorb dna uh that they get from other bacteria and basically make it part of them themselves
1: yeah they think that's where the eukaryotes came from oh really yeah the mitochondria was its own thing and it became absorbed by some ancient cell to serve as like the power center huh. of the, uh, of the cell. And from that, like, gave rise to everything with the backbone, everything that's not a bacteria, basically. So fish at first? I guess. Yeah. But eventually, like, it all, it all just came to that. And it's still going on today. Wow. Like, it's just two organisms in one. Isn't that Very neat? It. Yeah, that's super neat. Uh, and then one other thing, like, there are three ways that this could happen that, um, that new alleles could be introduced. But um, I wonder if epigenetics will eventually be added to that. You think? Over time? Yeah, because think about it. I mean, it's a change in gene expression. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, I, I could see that leading to, I guess I guess it could be classified as a spontaneous mu- mutation. I guess it would fall under that umbrella. Yeah, but so much leads up to it, I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm with you. What's that a 4th? Okay, epigenetics is officially added as a change to alleles.
0: I'm sure we'll get an email from someone that's super smart that will explain exactly why that won't happen.
1: <laughs> They're like, first of all, Chuck was right. It's alleles. <laughs> it's probably to like, to alleles. So, Chuck, we, um, you know, we said that all of this starts at DNA and the fact that it changes. Yeah. We actually should go back even further, um, than that. Uh, in, into the backdrop of nature the environment okay. the reason that DNA changes that traits change over time is because of a little thing called death yeah we all die and how to avoid it exactly it's th- it's the combination of those two things we're all going to die and all organisms appear to be driven by a desire to put off that moment as long as possible yeah so we have an instinct to survive right? Yeah. The problem is is the processes of nature are trying to put us down all the time. Yeah. So there is a inherent struggle to survive. So when you combine our desire to live with nature trying to kill us all the time, it forms that struggle. The struggle to survive gives rise to the changes in genes which eventually are selected and convert to evolution. Yeah. So it all begins with The struggle to survive. And, and the desire to survive. Right. And this is spelled out by Darwin. Himself.
0: Yeah, should we read some of his quotes? Yeah. Uh, this is, these are from the, on the origin of the species, which if you just listen to the Charles Darwin, you know that was his most famous work that he put out. (laughs) One of many. But that's his, uh, you know, war and peace.
1: Yeah. His close second was My Travels with Timmy. About his pet rabbit and he going around the county bothering neighbors. So here are a few of the uh, here
0: are a few of the basic tenets uh, in on the origin of the species and with some quotes uh, from Darwin himself. Okay. Uh, one is that organisms show variations of uh, variation of traits.
1: Yeah, that's him just getting it out of the way. Like, don't be dumb if you think that it, your your dad's blue eyes and your brown eyes are evolution. You're wrong. Okay.
0: I like that better than his quote actually. <laughs> Let's do that. Let's do Josh's take on his quote.
1: I'll, I'll do what I can.
0: All right. Uh, number two is uh, more organisms are born that could ever possibly be supported by the resources here on the planet.
1: That's right. Uh, stop being such an idiot. There's such a thing as <laughs> scarcity. Don't you know that? Man, this is great. Um, I feel the birth of a new podcast coming. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, number three,
0: therefore, in conclusion, all organisms must struggle to live. You already kind of covered that. Oh. okay. Um, number four, some traits offer advantages in the
1: struggle. That's right. Uh, those are mutations. And as Josh will eventually predict, epigenetics. Not always mutations, though. Right. Changes to alleles. Sure. Um, organisms
0: that have those traits, the ones that will help you survive, are more likely to be successful and reproduce and pass them on.
1: That's fitness.
0: And then finally, successful variations, the ones that we've just talked about that allow you to survive and reproduce more, they accumulate over the years and the generations as they are exposed to something we'll talk about in a minute called population
1: pressure. Right. And he points out, too, that this is essentially specific and local. Like um, if humans had a trait where you cooled extremely easily all the time yeah. um, under, uh, under all conditions, it wouldn't play very well when you move to the northern latitudes. Right. You'd die. Yeah. So it would be selected out of populations in the northern latitudes. But if you lived in the tropics, it would probably be selected, um, and propagated over time. Yeah. Because you probably have a lot more energy. You wouldn't just be laying around fanning yourself with palm fronds.
0: Well, you'd do that too, but
1: you wouldn't need to though.
0: Yeah, but it's just, it's a nice experience. <laughs> 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 um, so I mentioned population pressure and that's a, a key here. To understanding this whole bowl of soup. And, uh, we'll talk about that right after this message. Alright. So here we are in the stew. I called it soup. It's really a stew. Of evolution and natural oh, selection. Oh, okay. So we need to talk about population pressure, which is basically anything in a population that makes it tough for your species or you in, as an individual plant or animal to survive it.
1: Yeah. Again, because there's such a thing as scarcity, that means you compete with people in your species or people outside of your species, right? Like a lion wants to eat you.
0: Yeah. There's always, it's always going on.
1: Yes. Um, And then even if you lived in total harmony with all the plants and animals around you and vice versa- Nature's still shooting lightning bolts at you. Yeah, flooding. Yeah, floods, droughts, famine, all that stuff. There is always, as Darwin put it, like every organism struggles to survive one way or another.
0: Yeah, and that can really speed things up as far as allele frequency uh, change. Like if you flooded out an entire country, you're going to see some big changes within a generation or two. It's not necessarily over hundreds of years.
1: That's right. Um, And that's because... uh, When you have something, especially like uh, a flood or drought or just some severe increase, sudden increase in population pressure, it goes from just background population pressure to something very acute and pronounced. Yeah. like A lot of the population dies off.
0: Yeah, like his example is pretty great, actually, about the fire. Let's say a fire killed all the vegetation under 15 feet and a uh, population of giraffes, anything under 15 feet is going to have a hard time reaching food. And so they're going to start reproducing and making taller giraffes pretty much as fast as they can.
1: Right. The ones that can't reach food will die off, a lot of them, before they can reproduce. The ones that can reach food will live to reproduce, which will produce those taller giraffes. Um, And what just happened then in that giraffe example is called a population bottleneck. Something happened that took a large population, reduced it down to a smaller amount, and then usually in that smaller group, there's going to be some traits or whatever that used to be evenly distributed among the population. Yeah. That are now really concentrated and clustered. And Like that- it could be something super rare that is now the trait. Right, exactly. So if you have a super rare trait spread out very evenly among a large population, it that trait may or may not ever be selected. And if it is selected, it may take a very long time to be selected because there's so many other competing traits. Yeah. Well, when a lot of those other competing traits are narrow, wh- weeded out and you have that population bottlenecked, those traits are going to be very pronounced and the, they're going to be selected very quickly. So you have a very quick change in evolution as a result of sudden acute population
0: yeah, it basically becomes the norm. So in that area of where the the fire ended up killing shorter giraffes, the norm will now be super tall giraffes. Exactly. And don't say, Chuck, all giraffes are super tall. Super, super tall. <laughs> super, super tall.
1: And this apparently happened to humans. Um, there's a population bottleneck supposedly around 70,000 years ago. Um, uh, a, there was something called the Toba eruption, a huge supervolcano, oh, yeah? created like a six to ten year long winter, and dropped the number of humans, Homo sapiens, down to something as low as possibly three thousand people. Wow. Yeah. So uh, they're on the not planet on the whole planet. Wow. And they're not quite sure like what what um, variations were selected out of that. Yeah. But you can bet there was enormous change within. 20, 30, 40 years of of that event. Boy, I wonder what it was like before that. Right. It's pretty interesting. So let's say the giraffes, like everything was hunky-dory, no fires, no nothing, but just some of them decided that they wanted to see if there really are no such thing as zebras in South America. Right. So they hop (laughs) on a boat and they sail to South America Uh and they establish a a new little giraffe colony there. Yeah. What will uh, result from that is called the founder effect. And there is a band, by the way, I already looked. No.
0: Yeah, I thought, this has gotta be one. And it is. Huh. And I listened to their song.
1: How is it? Uh, it was pretty good. What kind of music?
0: Well, you know, sort of, uh, giraffey. Indie, uh, giraffey, <laughs> shoegazy. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Not bad. Cool. Um, so anyway, yeah, founder effect is when you, quite literally, when a population, uh, founds a new, uh, area and don't have sex with that other population anymore. Right so it, you can have very different traits from even if it's a giraffe from the ones in Africa because they set up camp in
1: a new place right and it's almost like a an unforced bottleneck yeah you know a, like a yeah, voluntary bottleneck yeah nature didn't kill off a bunch of the population the population just broke off from from a larger group to a smaller group and that smaller group's probably going to have some weird trait or two that are going to be selected yeah and and push evolution along faster than usual.
0: Yeah. Um, all right. Let's talk about this then. Okay. Let me pose a question to you, sir, that I know the answer to. Uh, uh, what about things that don't evolve anymore, buddy? What about like the shark that's been about the same for millions of years? Show me your natural selection there. I got this. Okay.
1: So sharks are a great example. Yeah. Um, Because they haven't changed in millions of years because they don't need to. Well, because basically they became apex predators a long time ago in their environments, and their environments went unchanged enough so that sharks didn't need to change. They are basically, as far as natural selection goes, perfect.
0: Yeah, they, they early on figured it out. It's like, all right, I've got my my teeth are in, are great, my yeah. my gills are working. I
1: can sense electrical impulses from yeah. fish flapping I can around.
0: swim super fast. I can kill everything I see.
1: As long as something doesn't punch me in the nose, I'm pretty much good.
0: Yeah, or kill me for my shark
1: fin. Well, that's yeah. It makes you wonder how sharks are going to evolve now. Yeah, that's a good point. But let's say pre-human fishing. So, uh, uh, two hundred years ago. Up to, from several million, maybe tens, I, I don't remember how long sharks have been around virtually unchanged. A long time. Yeah. So uh, let's say from millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and <laughs> <of> millions of <laughs> years ago. Okay. Up to 200 years ago, uh-huh. sharks are virtually unchanged. Yeah. Because they hit their peak and they're fine. But that doesn't mean that they have gone unchanged. Yeah. Or that natural selection hasn't uh, exerted an effect on them. Basically, what happens is they're still undergoing mutations, uh, through reproduction. There's new, uh, alleles uh, showing up. Yeah. But none of them are, hold, can hold a candle to the perfection that's been achieved by the shark. So they get selected out. They don't get a chance to, um, to, reproduce in the population or become distributed amongst the population. So you still have natural selection weeding out, but rather than changing the shark population or the shark species, um, or family, family, you have, you have natural selection as an agent of stability.
0: Yeah. Or I guess if, let's do a hypothetical. If we were going to use shark fin, shark finning as an example, Mm -hmm. let's say only sharks with, uh, you know, perfectly triangular gray fins were selected out right. to to be finned and cut off for shark fin soup. So that means sharks that have like weird spots on their fins would not get killed. So theoretically, hypothetically, over generations, we might see sharks with only spotted fins.
1: And that probably will happen because of the sudden and acute population pressure being exerted on sharks by humans. There okay. has to be some sort of a uh, forced adaptation that's going to occur.
0: Yeah, I don't know what the the criteria for a good fin though is, or if they just take them all, like whatever they can catch.
1: Right, but I mean, it could be as simple as something like um, f- figuring out that they like just swimming deeper and not coming oh, yeah, up and okay. like within the human's grasp. Yeah, or can it can be a behavior. And, like, just, yeah, just stay. Yeah, we should say that. That's a really good point. Um, a trait isn't necessarily something that is um, visibly apparent. Like, at, like right. height or something like that. It can be an ability or uh, a proclivity. Like Grabster uses the example of, um, dogs have evolved, um, the trait of, um, hanging out with humans. Uh, and Chuck, um, tell them about the, uh, the elephants. Cause that's a pretty good example of what we're talking about with oh, sharks.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, elephants, as we know, are killed many times for their ivory tusks. And it's sort of a, well, that's a good news, bad news scenario. <laughs> yeah. You would think, hey, good news, there's some elephants that were being born without tusks at all. Right. So they're not being hunted. And over the years now, they're, it went from like one 2 or 3%. 1%. 1% in 1930. To like close to 40% now are yeah. not born with tusks. Right. So you think that's awesome because now they're not being hunted, but they need those tusks for digging and defense and things like that. Right. So they're they're losing... A valuable trait, which is going to put stress on the population as a whole, I would think, over time.
1: But in the near term, it's been selected out because it's keeping the elephants alive, because the ones that were naturally without tusks weren't being killed by poachers, so they were allowed to reproduce more frequently than ones with tusks that were being killed. Yeah. So, yeah, you have a, a, within a human lifetime, within 70 years or so, the population has evolved yeah, that's what I mean by, like, you can see it happening in front of us. Right, and this is where the debate comes from, where I was saying, like, scientists even debate on how evolution changes or happens. Um, and there's basically the difference between um, gradualism or punctuated equilibrium. Yeah. And gradualism is just over time, very slowly, new alleles appear, and some of them s- tend to make... Th- organisms fitter and so they'll eventually over very long stretches of time be selected out and then uh punctuated equilibrium is like we were talking about with the african elephants where there's a sudden population pressure yeah. and all of a sudden the this organism or species is forced to evolve and they do and then after that it, everything evens out for a little while and stays the same until the next catastrophic event
0: yeah i don't get it is
1: there a it says there's an ongoing debate about that. Can't they both exist? I don't understand why they don't both exist. It seems like one is just constant yeah. background evolution, and the other one is um, like uh, evolution as a result of you know sudden acute crises. Why wouldn't they both exist? I don't know. I don't understand it either. I
0: will have to look into that.
1: Okay, Chuck. So uh, let's go a little further, and uh, well, I guess we'll go back to genes. But um, remember, you know a guy named Richard Dawkins, right? Yeah. He wrote a book in uh, the 70s called The Selfish Gene. And it basically, we were talking about, you know, the debate between gradualism and equilibrium, punctuated equilibrium. Well, Dawkins came along and said, you guys shut up for a little bit. Let's talk about this, the selfish gene. And he just basically reframed the entire way that people look at evolution.
0: Yeah, I thought it, I think it's pretty interesting. Uh, the essence of it is that as long as you reproduce, then Natural selection doesn't care about you after that. Right. After you've passed on your genes, that's the important part. Uh, In the case of spiders is one great example. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the male gets eaten right afterward.
1: Yeah, or like praying mantises. Didn't the female eat the the male's head? Do they? Like bite the male's head off? I don't know. And we're talking about praying mantises, so it's okay to say female.
0: (laughs) Um, In that case, though, both those cases, natural selection doesn't care. The male has done his job, yeah he has propagated and passed down the allele, and it doesn 't matter if he dies or not right afterward it doesn't put any stress on the population
1: no and that's like a really that was a tricky thing before Dawkins came along. It was like, wait a minute there's a real problem with natural selection if if the whole point is for something to be able to reproduce and reproduce successfully, like why would there be um adaptations that kills its own yeah Yeah. where like the the organism is killed like as a result of reproduction that doesn't make any sense and dawkins came along and said it does make sense if you stop looking at organism and start looking at the genes yeah basically like none of that matters right so he he made his point so well that it actually got a little bit out of hand um and it came to be known as well it was the selfish gene before but basically it was he characterized it so well that it became a character. Genes became a character. Yeah. Almost like they had hijacked organisms and were using them as husks to pass along yeah. themselves. Like a virus or something like right. that. Right. Um, and uh, Dawkins came out a number of times and is like, no, that's the wrong interpretation. That's not what I mean. But it's still essentially the same thing. It's just, um. We're just vessels. Yeah. Yeah, we are. We, we, we are a means of passing along our genes. And as if you look at it through the lens of natural selection, the the as long as the genes are able to be passed along, the vessel is no longer necessary. So, therefore, the head can be bitten off by the woman. That's right.
0: But, like we said, this isn't widespread. But it does help explain things like spiders.
1: Right. You know? But there's a big flaw in this selfish gene
0: theory, right? Well, and Dawkins theories as a whole
1: right there's the flaw is is that there's such thing as altruism
0: yeah and this is you know humans and animals that for no reasons based on natural selection
1: desire to help each other doesn't benefit you in the least at all no as a matter of fact it can harm you before you're able to reproduce so even from the genetic level of the selfish gene um it doesn't make any sense because you're the genes are allowing the organism to be harmed before yeah, like, it could possibly reproduce.
0: Well, why Why does someone have an instinct to jump in an icy river to save somebody? Right. And they have found that it is instinctual and that it happens in infants with, like, zero cultural training. It's, like, part of us.
1: Yeah, and it's not just humans either. There are uh, plenty of animals that um, that display altruism as well. Like, meerkats are big on altruism. Yeah, and I like the explanation; it makes again total sense to me. Yep. Something called
0: kinship. If you've got a couple of different families, uh, Tuk Tuk's family and and Bartok's family. <laughs> well, Bartok was a composer, but what's another good caveman name?
1: Uh, Mongo. Yeah, that's a great one. So,
0: Mongo's family is very selfish; they don't like to share their their stuff. They're all competing for the same food. Right. Tuk Tuk's family is very generous; they like to share things. So over time. They will be a more successful family because they have been altruistic and shown that kinship.
1: And they're, they're improving their chances of success by combining their, their efforts into a group effort, yeah. right? Um, which is kind of like that Paleolithic warlessness we talked about in the cave dwellers episode. Oh yeah. Where everybody just kind of figured out that like they could be more successful if they stopped fighting and started harvesting together. Yeah. Um, and if you kind of look at it, like that, like everybody coming together as a group for a common goal, you're also looking at superorganisms.
0: Yeah, have we done one on ants specifically?
1: No. I think we should. I agree. Because they are about the best
0: example of a superorganism. It's basically the little worker ants aren't doing the reproducing.
1: They can't even reproduce. They're yeah, sterile.
0: that goes to the, the top dogs. They only get to do that. So all those little worker ants aren't even passing on their genes, but they're still busting their little ant butts for the colony. Yeah. And um, a superorganism basically then is to step back and say, let's not look at ants, but let's look at the ant colony.
1: As an organism.
0: As one organism. And
1: that explains the altruism in that ant. Of yeah. sacrificing its own ability to pass along its genes in order to serve the colony as a whole. Then it makes sense.
0: Like, Papa Ant is going to pass down the genes. I just need to make sure Papa Ant has food and water.
1: Right. And you can also use that same um, argument, To explain why, like, it would make sense if, um, you know, you jumped in to save your son from a river. Yeah. That kinship explains that. Sure. But why would you jump in to save someone else's son? Well, if you look at it like, well, this kid's part of the same species and shares a lot of the same genes as you, you're ensuring that your species genes are passed along.
0: Yeah, and you get to humble brag on Facebook.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'll bet, big time.
0: Oh, pretty boring day. Just saved a kid from the river and the icy river. No biggie. Yeah. Just helped ensure his jeans get passed along. <laughs> well, I guess a humble brag though would be, um, well, it looks like my shoes are ruined that I just bought, jumped into an icy river and saved a kid.
1: Yeah, that'd be a good one. <laughs> That's a, we should start just doing <laughs> fake humble brags on Twitter, <laughs> Facebook. Oh, this brand
0: new BMW I got has the windshield wipers are busted. Not a day for it. It's raining. That's just being a jerk. Okay. <laughs> all right. So now we should talk about something that also excites me, <laughs> vestigial and atavistic traits. Um, all organisms carry some trait that is really no benefit and really is no longer expressing itself as a means to help you survive. But it's not harming you either, so it hasn't yeah. been selected out. So it's just there. Yeah. And um, I've got some pretty good examples in the human body Um one, some are behavioral, some are actual organs, like the appendix. Many people think the appendix is a, vestig- a vestigial organ.
1: I heard that it might fight cancer.
0: Well, no, now scientists are starting to say we think it might fight cancer or it might house um, like bacteria that helps you aid in digestion. Okay.
1: So everybody whose appendix we took out, get in line, we're going to put
0: them <laughs> back in. But for many years, and I think the debate is still out, whether or not it is... A remnant from primate ancestors when, um, we had to digest like plants like super rich in cellulose or something. Yeah, gotcha. But we don't anymore. So that's why the appendix really
1: does nothing. Back when we were giant termite men. <laughs> that was um, a scary time. Sinuses? That was what we were like on the other side of the population bottleneck. Giant termite people. <laughs> uh, sinuses supposedly may, um, there, it's
0: also debated, but they're, Pockets of air in your face, and no one really knows if they serve any kind of biological function or not.
1: Yeah, and they kind of suck, too, because they get yeah. infected.
0: They can get infected. Uh, the coccyx is pretty exciting because it's a tailbone that used to be a tail. Yeah. And some people are still born with them.
1: Yeah, and the people who are born with tails uh, are atavistic. Those are atav- atavisms. It's, it's yeah. a vestigial remnant that... Um, expresses itself very closely to the way it actually used to be. It's not just a trace of it any longer. It is like, it's like that allele saying, Hey, uh, maybe we should go back to tails again. What do you think? (laughs) No? Yeah. It's not,
0: um, just so you don't picture like a human with a big four foot long monkey tail. Mm -hmm. It's usually like a bump or something.
1: Didn't, uh, George Costanza have a tail in, uh, what was that one? Jack Black Farrelly brothers. movie? Oh yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, Shallow howl? Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. Yeah.
1: And he could wag it.
0: <laughs> I don't remember that. Uh, what else? Um, oh, here's a behavior, um, a vestigial behavior, the Palmar grasp reflex. Oh yeah, I thought this was cool. It's pretty neat. When you go up to a little, uh, stinky, dirty human baby and you put your finger in their hand or their foot even, it's going to grab it like super hard and super strong. Yeah, like Popeye basically or like a little baby monkey trying to hang on to mama
1: cruising through the jungle through the grabbing onto the coat their mom's coat
0: yeah so basically that's a behavior they think is is like a human baby now doesn't need to grasp hold of something that hard at 6 weeks old
1: yeah so it's a behavior maybe so we we play tennis thanks to a vestigial behavior and ability i don't oh got it being able to grip that racket yeah <laughs> What's what article is this from? Is it um, was it io nine od? Yeah, I
0: think so. Io nine. It was kind of silly, but these are some pretty decent examples. Yeah, we we've talked about it in male nipples before. Yeah, we did. We did a whole episode on it. Um, goosebumps. The erector pili. I've mm-hmm. never heard of this.
1: Oh, I did a dumpy dumb on it.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. You want to explain what it is real quick? No, you go ahead. Okay. Um, everyone has had goosebumps. The erector pili are those muscle fibers that give you. Goosebumps, uh, when you don't even necessarily want them or need them.
1: Right. There's little muscles that are attached to your hair follicles. Yeah. Whether you have hair there or not any longer. Right. And they press it up so that your hair stands on end, either to make yourself look bigger so you're scary. Right. Or because you're cold to make your coat fluff out. As in when we used to have coats because we were animals. Another vestigial trait.
0: And, uh, my favorite one aside from
1: tonsils, is the uh, plica uh, Similunaris. Did you like how you asked me if I wanted to do it, and I was like, no, and then I did it anyway? Yeah, I knew it. I knew that was coming. Sure.
0: Uh, if you look in your mirror, and you look at your eyeball, and you look in the little inside corner of your eyeball, um, you're going to see a little fold of tissue. And it's not the little bump, but it's that little thing in the inside corner of your eye that is a remnant of a third eyelid what's it called what kind of eyelid the uh, plica uh, plica or plica similaris and uh, apparently we had third eyelids that would that were clear so you could like wash your eye and still keep an eye out for predators
1: right and they would come from the sides rather than up and down they, they yeah. moved uh, horizontally exactly yeah like a snake or a reptile yeah or a bird They still have them.
0: Man. We do not, but we still have that in the corner of our eye, even though it does nothing.
1: So here's the thing. We have the genes then to make that.
0: Uh, Yeah, if we needed it again.
1: So that allele could possibly come back. Like we could have people who were born with that and like if it ended up helping us. um, Like if we could sleep with our eyes open to watch the zombie invasion. Or to watch TV better 24 (laughs) hours a day.
0: Uh, Just the fact that we can wiggle our ears. That's a vestigial trait. There's no reason why we should be able to wiggle our
1: ears. Watch this. I can wiggle mine. Can you do them one at a time? You're wiggling your eyebrows. I'm wiggling my whole face. I know. Can you do them <laughs> one at a time? Look. That's pretty impressive, actually. Yeah. <laughs> well, that means... it. Drives, like Yumi's going bananas right now. She hates uh, it so <laughs> much. Uh, that
0: means that maybe Josh's ancestors uh, were a little closer than mine in, as far as uh, monkeys directing their ears to listen out for predators yeah
1: no it means I'm less evolved yeah as a human being I have like the ability to move ears so I can hear things that I don't <laughs> need to anymore yeah and I'm fairly hairy So this has been a depressing episode for me in that <laughs> respect I didn't want to mention any of that stuff so uh, Chuck we talked about um, African elephants you want to give a couple more examples of uh, natural selection and action <laughs>
0: the ballworm. Sometimes it happens super fast. In the case of the bullworm, it's happening faster than we can create toxins to kill them. Yeah. Like they treat cotton now with... Uh,
1: no, they genetically engineered it so cotton produces it itself.
0: Yeah, I guess it's not treating.
1: Cotton I guess is treating it is it. in a
0: way. Originally treated cotton, but now cotton is growing with this toxin that is supposed to kill bullworms. But enough bullworms uh, were immune to that that they were the ones that went on to do the most reproducing to eat the cotton.
1: Right. I'm sure the, that first generation of bollworms were like, I'm so wasted off this <laughs> cotton, but I'm alive.
0: Uh, and then the clovers, some species of clover have a mutation that uh, made poison cyanide uh, leak from its cells, causing it to be bitter, yeah. therefore it wouldn't be eaten.
1: Isn't that weird?
0: Yeah, just that the clovers like, don't eat me. Yeah, I, I make cyanide somehow. Yeah. But, unfortunately, uh, when the temperature drops below freezing, the cells rupture, releases that cyanide into the plant, and it kills itself. However, in warm climates, that doesn't happen. So what you end up with is clover in warmer climates that's completely different structurally, cellularly, than The one in the colder climate.
1: Yeah, the warmer ones produce cyanide. The ones in the colder climates don't. Same clover. It's very much like that example of, um, you know, the humans that can cool constantly. Right. Playing well in the tropics, but not in north. Pretty cool stuff. Yeah. Man, I love this. Me too. You got anything else? I got nothing else. (sighs) Oh, well, well, let's talk about ourselves a little bit real quick. Really? Yes. What's your sign? I'm a Pisces, I can't wiggle my ears. <laughs> um, no, humans, like, we have, like I was saying, we have jets now, so like, we're one large population, right? Yeah. Um, that's just one example of how we've essentially taken ourselves out of the evolution game. Yeah. We, even more to the point, we have such a thing as birth control, artificial birth control. Yeah. Um, we have a lot of different things that we do inadvertently or advertently to, um, uh, to adapt, to change ourselves, to change our ability to reproduce, whatever. Yeah. So I wonder then, are we um out of the evolution game already forever? Will we ever be able to, if we're not? And, Get out of the game? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, is that the case? Like, I know that's the goal of transhumanism, is to just say, so long, suckers, to evolution, right? And just be totally in charge. But I also wonder, like, um s- with birth control birth control is an artificial s- it's it's unnatural selection
0: yeah it's an artificial blockade to reproducing
1: right which flies in the face of natural selection my question is is natural selection enough of a um powerful process that eventually um women are going to start evolving an immunity to birth control uh yeah or right. is human ingenuity so strong that it's like we've got natural selection beat and it's just gone now. It's done for us. Aside from fires and and floods and famines and droughts and all that. But I mean like on that graduated or gradual background natural selection. Right. Have we taken ourselves out of that? I wonder.
0: Or is it enough of a population pressure to have the effect
1: to begin with? Yeah, just from the fact that there's so many humans yeah, that that their scarcity exists. True. So I guess not. I guess we just answered my question, man. I really didn't think it was going to get answered, but it just did. Wow. We're still under the effects and influence of natural selection. It's a podcast miracle. Bow before natural selection, humans. Uh, I want to take a second to say hi to all the sixth through ninth grade science classes who are listening to this right now. I assume there's at least one or two. I guess. Hi, guys. Hi. Hi. Okay, so natural selection, right? Yes. All right. Uh, If you want to learn more about natural selection, you can type those words into the search bar at housetuffworks.com. It will bring up a world-class article by the Grabster. Uh, And since I said search bar, it means it's time for listener mail.
0: Uh, I'm going to call this, uh, we're curing people of disease. Nice. Uh, Hi, guys, and Jerry, you have a very large, uh, in a very large way, helped cure my six-year-old niece, Ava, of Lyme disease. Uh, for several months, she experienced a series of strange symptoms that didn't seem to relate to one another, including infection, muscle weakness, double vision. After months of testing, her doctors were at a complete loss as to what to do and what was wrong uh, because the once cheerful, enthusiastic little girl began to withdraw. She was unable to go to school for periods of time and quit all her beloved after-school activities. Um, one day, she said to my sister, Mommy, uh, there are two of you. One is up here. One is down there. Which one is the real You? Another alarming and creepy creepy statement was, my legs don't work anymore. (laughs) Enter Uncle Josh and Uncle Chuck. After listening to the podcast on how ticks work, I encouraged my sister to have my niece tested for Lyme disease. Despite not having any evidence of being bitten or being in a region known for deer ticks, she was tested and indeed did have Lyme disease. That is awesome. Uh, Uncle Josh and Uncle Chuck really saved the day on this one. Ava was in pain, confused, and very afraid because she didn't understand what was happening. Uh, None of the doctors suspected Lyme disease. And I never would have pushed for it without uh, or even tested for it in the first place if your podcast hadn't tipped me off to the possibility.
1: That is so cool. This girl owes like her
0: well-being to us. <laughs> uh, and to the doctors that have helped her. <laughs> to a lesser extent. <laughs> After the treatment, she's back to her old happy, studious, and energetic self. Uh, she's a brilliant young girl and will have a bright future, thanks to you guys, uh, having her back and making
1: her full recovery possible. Much love, Michelle Mariani. That's awesome. Thanks for letting us know that, Michelle. Ava, right? Yeah, that's really neat. Way to go, Ava. Way to uh, beat that Lyme disease, stupid ticks. Hate ticks. I even hate the tick episode. Oh, that was a great one. We need to do a Lyme disease episode when supposedly it's supposedly very controversial, and I've never really looked into it. Okay, I've heard you could make money selling your blood. I don't know if that's true. Oh, it is. Oh, okay. Uh, you have to do it on the black market, though, because they don't pay... On the regular market. Gotcha. It's all like, well, I'm a do-gooder. Right. Um, so uh, if you want to get in touch with Chuck and I to let us know how we helped you or a relative out, we love hearing that kind of stuff, or you can just get in touch to say hi or whatever you want. Uh, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. Hang out at our happening Facebook page, facebook.com slash stuff you should know. Send us an email to stuffpodcast@discovery.com. at discovery.com. Check out our YouTube channel. Look for Josh and Chuck. And as always, join us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com.
0: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com.